You are now listening to the Hack My Age podcast, the show that brings you guests for biohacking women over 50. I'm your host, Zora Benamou, a gerontologist, digital nomad, certified sports nutrition, and breathing coach. I'm the author of the Longevity Master Plan, the cookbook, Eating for Longevity, and a new upcoming energy reboot program for women over 50. Now, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast, and I would really appreciate it if you could please leave a review on Apple Podcasts to help others find us too. This is a really small but very critical gesture that makes a huge impact for me to support a podcast for older women, help us grow stronger, get our voice out there, and attract even more amazing guests to the show for you and for me. Hello, age disruptors. Today, I'm recording this podcast with a live studio audience. All of you attending this recording now are members of the Hack My Age VIP program. And part of being in this exclusive club is the ability to dial in and watch the interviews as they are recorded. And you can ask your own questions. If you want to be a part of this amazing community, go to patreon.com, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com forward slash hack my age and sign up not only for these cool interviews, but so much more. You can now watch all of our podcast interviews and more on the Hack My Age YouTube channel. Some of our interviews include slideshows, so it's great to have. Every day there is a new video, so just search Hack My Age on YouTube.com or find the link on the HackMyAge.com website. Easy peasy. So welcome to the podcast and Zoom. For the next 30 minutes, we are talking with clinical nutritionist Craig Burton about inflammaging. If you don't know what that is, he's going to explain it really well. Craig is also a sports scientist holding degrees in sports science and psychology, sports nutrition, clinical nutrition, and sports medicine. He's got over 20 years of experience. And I'm really so glad you guys are getting to know him. And some of you guys will be hearing him uh, over and over again. He's been on, on the podcast before. Um, but we've been working together uh, ever since I had my first health retreat in Thailand, and I brought him some really pretty tough cases, and he has been able to see what even their doctors at home cannot see and transform their health and ultimately their lives. So I'm really, really grateful for Craig um, coming into my life and helping me and my clients. And I'm really sure today he's going to tell you something you probably never heard before. So without further ado, welcome, Craig. Wow. Thank you, Zora. Thanks for having me. And uh, thank you for the introduction. Very kind. Very kind. It's, it's too short. I could go on and on. But, um, so, you know, we've had a lot of talks about blood sugar levels and keto diets and how people can really increase their chances to live to 100 and lower their disease, of, their risk of disease. So today is, I think, kind of the root cause of a lot of problems. Um, I think we're going to, we're going to reveal some of this stuff with inflammation, but I want you to explain a little bit about inflammation, the word inflammaging, because a lot of people don't haven't heard this word. I love this word because it encompasses a lot of things in one word. Can you explain what is inflammaging? Let's break down the word inflammation and then let's lock in this aging to make this inflammaging. So inflammation inflames on fire. Now, if we think of inflammation, we've got two main types. We've got what we call acute inflammation. It's like someone who might get tennis elbow 
playing some sport, we get this localised irritation, it's red, maybe swollen, painful. And that can be, you, most, most of you have heard, and when we're as sports scientists, we'll tell everybody, remember RISA, rest, ice, compression, elevation, and rehabilitation solves the problem pretty well. But then we've got the deeper inflammation, the real problem child of inflammation. That's what we call chronic or systemic. Systemic means throughout the body. And so what's happening here is we're getting this redness, this irritation, this fire, friction affecting the cells. And tissue is made of cells and organs are made of tissue and systems are made of... So we've got this collection of cells, but when the cell isn't working, when the cell is on fire, when your house is on fire, obviously you're damaging parts. And what do we connect onto that? And what is aging essentially? It's the in terms of the acceleration, so the aging process, the acceleration, and in the end, the decomposition and the breaking down. And so this fire, if we think of this house analogy, if my house is constantly on fire, how do you think it'll look? I mean, we were at a, at a hotel recently in Thailand, and the hotel it was 10 years old, but it looked 30 years old. <laughs> Why did it look so old? Well, one, they weren't maintaining it, but the, the elements, the elements that constantly, so in terms of the, the light, the heat, the oxidation, how they maybe made the structures and all the rest, but it looked like it was aging faster than it would in another country, say in Europe. So that's what's going on in our bodies for a lot of people. Their body is aging at a rate faster than what they would. And we have these things of biological aging versus like what your traditional years of aging. I and mean, a lot of people are biologically aging faster than they kind of, they should be. And this has to do, you spoke the, the magic word, the root cause of a lot of these diseases is this inflammation and it increases the aging process. So inflammation, those yeah. two coming together. That's a perfect explanation. I love that. It is accelerated aging. I mean, we're going to age, right? And that's fine. It's normal, it's normal. but... We don't want it to go faster than, than it needs to be. And if we can slow it down, this is my, my wish is to slow it down so that I can live a longer health span, which is the number of years we live uh, full of vitality and free of disease. That's the, the, the gist of it is that if we can manage, I guess, this inflammation, then we can slow mm. down this aging process. We can't get rid of it altogether and that's okay, but at least we maybe not be in so much pain. We're physically active enough to do the things that we want to be doing. So how is it that inflammation is affecting? Okay, well, I understand it's affecting the cells and this and, that and everything, but how is it accelerating certain diseases or triggering certain problems that people are having with their health? Because I think you said it right. It explained it perfectly that the acute inflammation versus the chronic inflammation and I, we need inflammation, right? It's a good thing. Thank God we have that, right? If we cut ourselves and bleeding all over the place and that inflammation wasn't there to help repair it, then that, then we, we die. So I guess the idea is to get it in, in balance or have it when we need it. So where, where is it going wrong? And let me, let me expand on that. Where I'm from, I'm from Perth, Western Australia, and we are one of the bushfire capitals of the world. We have big problems with bushfires. And when they're onto their job, what we do is we do spot fires. So we're basically clearing out the scrub so we don't have big problems. And this is what the body does perfectly. We have cells that are broken down. We get infections, and the body goes after it and basically uses inflammation 
to clean away the dead tissue, the dead cells, the dead scrub, and rejuvenate. So if you've ever been, and I'm growing up in this place, we would go to a bush, a place that was a bush fire, and you see these saplings, these sprouts, this life coming out of this area that was just had a had a fire, mm-hmm. and it's quite amazing. And the seeds get to go. So, so the body knows how to do that. And it's important that the body is clearing out the dead wood, so to speak, clearing out the dead tissue and allowing new growth to occur. So the body's always doing this. The problem is if we are in a 24-7 state of burning, guess what's going to happen? Suddenly this cell is not going to be able, we won't be doing the processes. We won't be able to produce the energy correctly. So it affects all these different parts of growth, development, the nervous system. We think about how that affects a person with a lot of inflammation. We talk about even um, all the diseases. So think of any disease with I-T-I-S on the end. Mm-hmm. Obviously, the classic ones are arthritis, but pick, a, pick an organ, the mm-hmm. liver hepatitis or colitis or anything, this itis. This is a state that it's in constant like fire and where it's uncontrollable. So again, our bushfire is going out of control. We're not managing it correctly. And what that means is that cell affecting the, the tissue and the organ, they're not able to do their job. So suddenly your liver isn't able to detoxify. Mm-hmm. Your liver isn't able to produce the proteins to rebuild. Your colon isn't able to excrete correctly. So suddenly we have cancer. Suddenly we have heart disease. Suddenly we have brain issues, cognitive issues. We're seeing relationships between dementia, Alzheimer's, and inflammatory issues. Mm-hmm. And that's, uh, we're seeing this, this breakdown and we don't function. We're mm. in a state of dysfunction. So high inflammation equals more dysfunction. So chronic inflammation equals things not work correctly. And it affects every aspect of our life, every aspect of our health. This episode is sponsored by Primadine, a supplement that if I had to choose only one, it would pretty much be this one. It's because primidine is spermidine. And this has been shown to activate autophagy, which is super important. And it's basically a cellular cleanup and recycling process that declines as we age. When we get older, our cells accumulate a lot of junk and a lot of waste, and this isn't really great for us. So we need to clean it up. So if you want some research, go to primidine.com and you can see all of it supporting cognitive health and heart health, hormone balancing, and long and strong hair, nails, and eyelashes by using spermidine. So another very important reason why I love primidine in particular so much is that I've never had received ever as much feedback about a product as I have with primidine. Literally several times a week, someone reaches out to me on Facebook or Instagram with an amazing testimonial. And most of the time it's about improved sleep. So I can honestly say that I can 100% be convinced now that primidine is the best spermidine supplement you'll ever find. And you can try it with a 15% discount by using the code Zora, Z-O-R-A, on primadine.com. And that's P-R-I-M-E-A-D-I-N-E.com. Now enjoy the show. We all can recognize that acute inflammation. You feel pain, you feel redness, you feel sore, and you can kind of spot it. But the scary thing is that there are a lot of 
things that we don't feel like, you know, how many people have you known said I got diagnosed for cancer, had no symptoms, no sign, I didn't feel anything. And that goes to so many of these other chronic diseases. And that's where it gets scary because it's not tangible anymore. And people may go, ah, you know, I'll live my life as I want to. And there's this inflammation that comes, keeps going on, but they don't really see it or notice it, or maybe they get comfortable with feeling tired or, you know, whatever it's, it is that they're the problems that they're having. So where, how, what can you say about that? And, and how to warn people that actually your actions and what is it actually that you think is causing these sort of chronic diseases? Yeah, I mean, if we go, if we go, so we break this great questions, but if we break it down and say, okay, what do we think causes it? But first, in terms of um, some of what you spoke about, the symptoms. Yeah, for a lot of people, it suddenly like a heart attack or something suddenly occurs, weren't ready for it. Question is, was it because though, and a lot of people might say that after they've made changes, that they weren't paying attention to the the, the tiredness, the, even it might be localised pain, the certain blood pressure going up, certain markers changing if they went to their doctor, which we can talk about what tests to look for. But the body is a pretty amazing biosuit. It's really, I mean, how it designs, it gives us signals, but the problem is we often override them. We're no pain, no gain, and just get on with it, and I'll sleep when I'm dead and all these sort of, all these sayings to say, keep pushing it, push it, push it, push it. And when we push things down and we keep it flat in the box and then suddenly something pops up. So it really first and foremost requires as much as possible for a person to kind of stand back and be quiet. Mm -hmm. So this is the beautiful thing on holidays when a person often even gets sick on holidays because their body's like, okay, so you're now in a place that you can heal. I'll give you that illness now to just break things down. (laughs) Um, when you and suddenly you realize, oh, I'm so tired, like you sleep on a holiday so much, and it's like, yeah, your body needs this healing time, and you're now giving it permission to heal because you're pushing it. So, the mm-hmm. first recommendation is see if you can every single day take some time out, be in nature if possible, be try if it's meditation or mindfulness or quietness or stillness, but having time to just sit with your body and yeah. be honest with your body and say, okay, what's going on? And you might say, at the moment, life is just so full on. I've got to keep going. But I understand I've got a few little things kind of nipping at me. Mm-hmm. I really have to maybe make some changes and maybe look at certain things, which obviously brings us into um, what are the potential causes of a lot of this inflammation. Can I stop you for a second? You, I yeah, want to please, ask you, please. So I want to kind of add on to that because I think a big mistake is, and I think what happens actually a lot is that somebody may feel bad or off or some gastrointestinal issues or tiredness, not feeling right, maybe a hormonal balance. And doctors sometimes say, you know what, it's kind of normal. It's normal aging. And I've seen a lot of people around the world in my travels, and they're all aging differently. And I can't say some of the things that are normal, I would say they're common, but I don't think that they're normal. And and we shouldn't get used to that. Oh, it's because I'm getting older and it's normal. I think if you feel something niggling at you, and of course, some people just don't have time and all that, and you're right, and they have to stop and take time, but don't accept that it's normal um, and investigate a little bit more. So 
um, that I think is one point. I think a lot of people just kind of sit back and well, oh, yeah, the doctor told me it's fine. Or people or their friends say, oh, you're just getting old and it's normal. I hate that. It drives me crazy um, for yeah. me, particularly when people tell me that and refuse to hear. But especially if there's something we can do about it. So, so yeah, continue, Craig. I, I totally interrupted you. But yeah, no, it's, a, it's a great point. I actually wrote, um, I have an article on this week. Um, we have a newspaper, Phuket News. And I wrote an article about testosterone and the falling numbers. And mm-hmm. I made a bit of a joke at the title saying, are you as, are you as much a man as your, as your dad was? Because our testosterone as men is going down quite dramatic. And what was normal five years ago in terms of the reference, oh, sorry, what was not normal, so the, the periods between what's high, so what's acceptable, so the low and then the high, they've shifted. So five years ago, if you had one score that we might have said that's really low, but now it's okay. And so this becomes, and this is happening in a lot of tests because they're based on norms. And norms are just a percentage like a bell curve. And we take 5% either way. And this is one of our, we've got a problem with what we're accepting nowadays. And this is why you and I talk a lot about health optimization. It's having the best version of yourself. We're all different. We're all different shapes, sizes, but we, we know that we should kind of say, for me, yeah. I don't feel as right. So when we hear, we go to the doctor and say, I just don't feel like myself. And you get, well, everything's kind of normal. I encourage people to keep looking, get a second opinion, ask some questions, because it, there's a lot of normal doesn't mean healthy, exactly what yes. you're saying now. It's exactly when I, when I, when I go to the doctor and I get a blood work done and he says, okay, well, you're in the normal range. I look at it and I go, normal on, for me is not healthy for me. It's in, if we're looking at standard American general health of an American, I'm sorry, normal is not good enough. I need to optimize. And that's when I bring my blood work to you. (laughs) I tell you as a functional, um, you know, the nutritionist to please interpret this because and maybe it's normal and it's fine, but I get worried when people tell me that I'm normal. I don't like that. I want to. I don't want to be normal. I want to be optimal. And and especially if I were not feeling well, if I'm feeling fine, everything's normal, great. But if I'm not feeling right, to me, there's something else going on. So I think if you guys, anyone who are listening, have issues and your doctor's telling you to that everything's fine, I highly encourage you to get in touch with Craig and tell him what's what your story is. And maybe there's something and actually, this is what happens to my clients, I bring them to him. <laughs> That's when you find actually, it's not normal. And then you're able to help and fix a lot of things. So I'm going to continue. Yeah, continue. Yeah. Yes, thank you. If I, if I could expand on that point, though, so a study came out a couple of years ago, that said only and if we look American, which is universal in Australia, England, Europe, around the world, but only 12% of adults were metabolically healthy. And their definition of metabolically healthy was that they had certain markers enough, like no, like the, we call it in terms of metabolic dysfunction, so metabolic syndrome, but the majority of people have either high blood pressure, problem with um, their lipids, meaning their cholesterol markers, blood sugar problems, like um, waste ratio. Nearly every, like 80, whatever, 88% have problems with that. And they're not even in the optimal. So the majority of people, unfortunately, what considering normal, are not reaching their potential. It's not about, like, I'm all for acceptance. And if a person accepts where they are, then that's fine. But for me, one of the, the most important things is reaching your potential. 
and, and, and seeing what's possible and knowing that and, and, and working towards that path. Okay. Yeah, right. Absolutely. There is a question that Elizabeth has. And, um, and, and I think what my next question for you is going to answer some of these things is that okay. one, I think for the viewers or the listeners is how do we measure inflammation? And then sure. the second sure. question is how do we lower it? So in terms of test wise, what test will I go to? There's a few that can be really helpful. So one of the classic ones nowadays is called HSCRP, means high sensitive C-reactive protein. And this C-reactive protein is, a, is an inflammatory marker and we look for the high sensitive part. It used to be often just a CRP, but we use a high sensitive CRP. And the reference ranges are generally, I've seen them now here, it's less than five is okay. It used to be less than three. The American Heart Foundation had it like three. I like it personally below one. I like it the lower the better. We've got another marker called ESR. And what that means is erythrocyte sedimentation rate. It means the flow of the red blood cells. And the more flow, if you think of a, a pond, if the pond's got flow, water flowing through it, it's healthier. As soon as it's stagnant, we're going to get parasites and we're going to get, you're not going to, like the likelihood of you drinking from this small <laughs> pond is not so high. We've got waterways here that are running through and fresh water coming down. And we want movement in our body. We want our fluid to be moving. So ESR is a secondary. It just says your blood is a bit, the higher it is, the more sticky it is. The more mm. sticky, the likelihood that you have an inflammatory issue. So those mm. are two classic ones. There's one also called homocysteine, which is a great marker for those, especially with concerns about heart disease. It's related to B vitamins and it's what it causes. Inflammation is also related to this thing called oxidation, fire and rust. And mm -hmm. so this homocysteine marker is a really important test. I mean, I could spend all day talking about them, but we don't have yeah. all day. But I recommend where possible adding that. And then I look at the, for instance, the liver function test. Liver, kidney function, we suck them together. But I look at the liver to see what's going on with the liver. The enzymes, AST, ALT, they will show when there's, so when they're high, doctor has to diagnose it and check that, but it ind indicates a fatty liver, which is an inflamed liver. So you mm. want to, you'll see inflammation there. There's a few more tests, but they're the, they're the kind of the big things that I'll look at. I mean, even cholesterol. I'll look at cholesterol too, and it it's so many parts to cholesterol, yeah, yeah. whereas hormonal and certain other aspects. But think of cholesterol like the building blocks. If your house is on fire, you might need more building blocks, and that is part of the relationship between heart, cholesterol and heart disease. It's a very funny relationship, and we're mm -hmm. breaking it down because high cholesterol can mean many things, genetics, hormones. But there is an inflammatory aspect too. So I always get clients still to look at cholesterol. If it's high, then we'll talk with the, the doctors about, okay, what other tests can we um, use to, to work it out? What's going on? So, so the most important test to get to test your inflammation is the high-sensitive high CRP, yep. ESR, homocysteine, get a liver function test done. And I would also get the full lipid. Now, there are more tests, but I generally put those guys in. All together. That's excellent. So what happens when somebody gets these markers, these the blood work back, and then it's all kind of crazy? What would you tell somebody? How can we manage this inflammation? Or does it depend on what's up and what's down? For sure. I mean, first, you've got to look at it and working with a, a, a doctor, functional medicine practitioner, and kind of sitting down and, and going through it. But I will say this, don't ever get your blood, bloods done unless you have to go to the doctor because of an infection. But if you have a cold, you've got, you're coughing or you feel there's a fear or something, 
don't do inflammatory markers on like around that time. Give yourself a week off because they will be high. Mm. So what is the body doing? It's it's going through what I say, it's breaking down, it's trying to destroy these infections. So the inflammation will be will be more elevated. But if it's high and you're like, I felt fine, and you see a lot of those markers, you've got some sticky, your blood is quite sticky. So ESR generally over 15. I like it even less than 10. We have a male-female mark, but I like less than 10. But say that's high and C-reactive protein and even homocysteine, you've got to then look at stand back. Look at your mindset. Yes, stress is a problem. Stress, mental stress, emotional stress, that's inflammatory. Mm. You've got to look at your lifestyle. You've got to look at your sleep. Sleep is where you put out the fire. We've talked so much about sleep. You have so much good information (laughs) on sleep to talk to Zora about sleep. But sleep is one of the greatest anti-inflammatories around. So that lifestyle particularly, who you spend your time with and how you live your day. Then you've got movement. Are you doing any movement to get the blood flowing? You've got to move. We don't move, we die. But excess movement, especially when a person is under a lot of stress, can be is not a great idea either. So it's, again, this Goldilocks principle, not too hot, not too cold, just right, getting the right balance. And then we've got diet. And obviously I'll spend a bit of time on the diet, but I wanted to address the other parts. But we want to ask ourselves the two most inflammatory, and I'll talk actually I'll give three foods that are real problem child's that if you can take them out, First, before you think about supplements, before you think about some superfood, have a look how much sugar, refined sugar, that is one of the most inflammatory substances. So have a look at refined sugar. Refined seed oils, a.k.a. vegetable oils. They're cheap in a plastic bottle, clear, yellow. They've been going the refining process. They're damaged. They're high in omega-6, which is more pro-inflammatory. Most of you probably heard of omega-3 from fish, seafood. Um, flax seeds, they're more anti-inflammatory. So those three, the biggest, the biggest changes in our diet over the last 20 years was an increase in grains and an increase in vegetable oils. Mm. Sugar actually is yeah. pretty, pretty flat line. A lot of even some studies will show sugar going down, but grains and vegetables have really gone exponential. And we've, that's yeah, part the, because of our food pyramid. But the, gra- the grains eventually convert into glucose in the body. So is it is it is the body it's, recognizing it, it as the same thing as sugar if it's a if it's like a high refined carbohydrate? So again, so maybe I'll clarify. So we're especially talking about refined grains, like your white breads, your white pastas. So there might be an inflammatory aspect because of gluten. That's a possibility. Mm-hmm. But again, they're exactly what you said. The conversion to sugar raising to high. Generally, we know people react a little bit differently to so this glycemic index, but. For most people, it is spiking blood sugar. It is causing a problem. When your blood sugar is high, it's inflammatory. That's why they talk about diabetes. What do you do? Like eyesight, type 2 diabetic, you lose your eyesight. You lose your limbs because it's so inflamed. Type 3 diabetes, Alzheimer's, dementia, because high sugar blood sugar levels are causing a problem for they're creating fire in the body. Mm. So really getting those in check. So those three, bringing them down. Then the question is in terms of solutions, okay, how, like, what should I be eating? Well, I'm a big fan of omega-3s, clean as possible. I'm a big fan of vegetables. I think that Terry Walls diet, if no one's ever heard of it, she's a woman who, a doctor, a medical doctor who overcame multiple sclerosis. Mm-hmm. And the base of her pyramid is not grains. It's colored vegetables, get at least three, three cups a day, so high sulfur. Sulfur is very healing. We're mm. talking onions, garlic. Uh, mushrooms, all those, the cruciferous, the broccoli, the cauliflower, those family. Get at least three cups of those. 
um, the coloured veg and the leafy green, mm. folate, things that reduce homocysteine. So those should be a basis. I think going through, doing a spot check, how much unprocessed food, if it's as simple as that, how much unprocessed, how much food that is in its whole state, meaning it hasn't been stripped and refined and changed too much. Yeah. And actually, I'm working with the clients now as well as you are on on monitoring their blood sugar levels. And I noticed that when they go out to eat, gosh, you know, their blood sugar goes all over the place. And we cannot identify what it is because when you're eating out in a restaurant, it could be anything. And so that's why I encourage people, if you're trying to manage your blood sugar or lower inflammation, please like eat at home as much as you can to try to figure this stuff out. The question from Elizabeth says, she's, I am a woman living with low level of inflammation of ESR, erythrocyte sedimentation, right? Which you you covered 27. What can be done to lower it to in standard range? Um, And I don't know if you want to answer this question one by one, or we kind of answered that. The next question was the doctor can't figure out why I have a bit of inflammation. Two, I am tracking my GKI and glucose and ketones. What is an ideal GKI? And if you can explain what is GKI, because I don't know what that is. I am measuring GKI for nutritional reasons for reducing weight and to be healthy. I do not want to have a low GKI, like a 2.5, because to my knowledge, it is used for multiple reasons. However, it's hard to not have low GKI because I have good glucose of about 4.5. MMOL and good ketones of 1.8 MMOL. Is that something you can you can answer, Craig? Can you let's, see the question? Let's go through. So, yeah, you... uh, the first one. Wait, sorry. Okay, so the, the first question in terms of ESR, I missed that start. She said she had low ESR, but she has a lot of inflammation. Yeah, can you go into the, to the chat? Because, yeah, it says low. she's living with low-level inflammation, so the ESR is good. Um, but did okay. do to lower, yep. oh, actually maybe, maybe Elizabeth, you want to explain that. I, I'm not sure I understand it either. Um, so I have low level inflammation. It's low level because the rate is only 27. And I think for women, when I went to the doctor, they said that they wanted something in the range of 20. Elizabeth, so generally, yeah, for females, the ESR top range is 20 males, males is 15. My ideal, to be honest, is less than 10. I think a lot of functional medicine practitioners and the doctors that I work with want it less than 10. So why do you say- Yes, it's amazing. Level, you say you're living with low level inflammation. What does that mean? So it's quite, so it's a bit higher. Like for three years, every year I measure it on my general checkup. And it's always been like 27, 28, 29, 26. So each year it it comes up and- the doctor and I even consulted endocrinologist could not figure why it, it's this level. He, they even said, oh, it's standard. It, it's okay. You, you're just like that, you know, like because it's low level, it's not cancer. It's not like if it was a, a level of 50 then or 30, I, I don't know, four, I don't know what level is cancer, then they will alarm me. But I'm more looking to have, like you said, not accelerate the aging <laughs> and see what I can do to lower into at least what is standard. And, and I really, which is the medical standard is 20 and below, but at Craig's standard, it's 10, which sounds to me wonderful because to me, I didn't even know that's possible. Uh, uh, so I didn't even know that's a standard that's possible for, for somebody to achieve. 
So I'll be interested to know what should I do? It's, it's a low level. It's not cancer, but it's not yeah. some ideal. I, it, it's an interesting thing. Again, so I'll have to say from always that I'm not a medical doctor, so I don't treat, diagnose people. My job is to bring a person's support a person naturally to when I'm looking at lab tests to bring them in balance. And if I see something out, really out, then that's I, I hand off to the doctor that I work with, functional medicine doctor. But to say that to that direct link of saying, okay, it's not it's not too high for cancer. Uh, there's plenty of studies that would say, okay, you could have a low ESR and still have cancer. It doesn't. It's not a direct like ESR just means your blood's a bit sticky. You could be dehydrated and you could have a high ESR. You could be. It could be inflammatory. It could be many reasons why why you have a high ESR. I mean, dehydration is the first general one I go to. So if anyone's trying to say you don't have cancer, they should be looking at a lot of tests to, to say that. That's just one small secondary marker, just how all it does, all ESR does is looks at the flow of your blood. So I'm really surprised that they would say something like that and not and, and just say this is one marker, it's a little bit high, it's just out of the norm ranges. Um, if we're concerned, we're going to run a lot more tests just to discount or to eliminate some other things, especially if you're concerned. And so that's, I'm surprised that wasn't the response for you. But the question being, okay, Craig, um, my ESR is over 20 and I've heard that the lower, generally we want the blood to flow as much as possible and to get a score less than 10 sounds like a good idea because it's going to allow the body movement. So how could I achieve that? The first thing you want to do, Elizabeth, is look at your total lifestyle. And as I said, look at those aspects. Now, you've spoken about, so the GKI, the glucose ketone index, it's a newer thing. So it's a newer kind of way of looking at glucose and ketones together. So let's talk about blood sugar. So the, the key, for one of the key factors for lowering inflammation is to actually see that your blood sugar is very stable. There was some great study um, actually, on my on my desk here, because um, I'm just fascinated by blood sugar. I'm constantly looking at the latest papers on blood sugar and glucose variability, meaning the rate of the changes, the blood sugar changes, is actually we're realizing more important than simple high blood sugar. So we all looked at like fasting blood glucose, HbA1c. But now we're realizing studies that actually a person creates more inflammation, creates more damage when their blood sugar is going up and down and quite wide in terms of the variance or the, the difference in their blood sugar. So the first thing that I want to ask myself, since you're talking about blood sugar regulation and ketones, is, is your blood sugar pretty stable? And if it's not, the job would be to look and say, okay, how am I accessing my my stores of energy, how am I producing my ketones, am I balanced there? What foods, what diet is creating the best balance? And if you're using, obviously, you're using a glucose monitor and maybe in terms of, a, obviously, a ketone monitor, you want to see that you have a, a good balance. Now, the idea that the more ketones, the better is not, that's even the, some of the, I studied at Ohio State, that's kind of the premier ketone university, and even um a lot of the, the professors out there say we don't know exactly what is the ideal amount of ketones, but what I especially would look at is to just see that your blood sugar before eating and after eating, so just prior to eating and then one hour, two hour after eating, they're not, it's not massive spike. 
that it's as balanced. Mm -hmm. So that's a sugar perspective that I would definitely be onto. I would then look at the rest of my lifestyle. I would look in terms of my diet. If um, we spoke about fibrous carbohydrates, we spoke about um, like sulfur, for instance, is amazing in terms of um, healing the body and producing a compound called glutathione. Um, Zora, I'm sure you've spoken in mm-hmm. about glutathione with people. It's a major antioxidant. One of the problems of damage is all these free radicals. Some of you have, again, there's a few big words, but free radicals are creating damage in the body and they need to be mopped up. And this is where our antioxidants like vitamin C, glutathione is one of the kings. Um, it's really important. You need sulfur from plants like onions, garlic, cruciferous vegetables, and then at the animal products like eggs and, and meats and all that have that too, but getting a balance. So I would ask, is my diet clean in that way? I would ask my hydration. I'd be very, with that ESR, I would be asking, do I find, so how do I know I'm hydrated, that um, my urine looks not perfectly clear like water, but relatively clear. Um, I'm urinating a few times a day. Uh, I don't feel this dry, like constantly in terms of dry mouth. And there's a test, that, one of the tests that I use to have a look at dehydration too is called an, a blood electrolyte test. And that, one of the markers, chloride, can give an interesting, if it's high, it's suggestive. All this is suggestive, suggestive that you might have dehydration. So when I look at a lab, like someone's blood test, I'm looking, I see high SR, I'm going to look at chloride, I'm going to look at some of the other markers and live and say, okay, is there a potential that that person was chronically dehydrated or just on the day? Anyone who does blood tests, please drink water, stay hydrated. You don't eat, especially if you want blood sugar, but you need to drink. And then people don't get told that they should be drinking before blood tests. But for mm-hmm. me, that's a, that's a problem. Did that answer some of the things? Or was- mm-hmm. I think it gave me a start to, I guess the first lesson is to just try to analyze my, my, my diet and, and clean it up and then go back to test if, if, if it was a diet thing. And then Absolutely. secondly is looking at the glucose uh, up and down the rate that it, it, that if it falls uh, or goes up and down to the baseline um, as I eat. I, I definitely on that note know that when I eat a meal, it really, it goes high and then the crash is high, but with some fasting the next day, my, my ketones come back and my glucose go back to normal. So I have a, somehow on the, on overnight, I get every back, everything back to normal, but on daytime, if I eat something, the, the, the crash is high, like the, the increase and crash is high. So yeah, my question, um, go ahead. Oh, sorry. I was just going to say, so what you want to do is really look at the type of food. Look at the type mm-hmm. of food, see how they're affecting you and explore and experiment, become a biohacker and really see, okay, <laughs> this food causes this reaction. That's interesting. Keep asking the question. Oh, that's really interesting. But yeah, I mean, I, I definitely I use, the, use the lab tests accordingly to, to, to obviously see as a hacker, I'm going to do this. Let's see what the result. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I have a, a question um, because it sounds like, it sounds like a hack. You figured it out. Like, okay, I eat these foods and it's a spice, my blood sugar. But the next day, if I fast, all is good. So I can see some of my clients going, okay, I'm going to use that as damage control so I can eat and drink and do whatever I want. And then make sure I do some fasting to try to even it out. So my question is to Craig, how is that affecting the body? Is that okay? Or is that even more damaging? 
Let me, let me say something about fasting because I wanted to add that point too. Fasting is the oldest traditional technique to reduce inflammation. That's why it's such a powerful anti-aging. Everybody in the anti-aging field is talking about fasting, and so they should. Fasting for some people, you know, they have to be careful of. Like if their blood sugar is too low, if they have issues, then it can cause cortisol issues. So when your blood sugar goes too low, cortisol is going to bring it up. But if you're okay and if you see how you're working with fasting, it is a powerful technique that if they could put a, turn it into a pill, they'd be billion, whoever, whoever designed it would be billionaires. So that's a powerful thing, but your question is always a great one. If I lack consistency, will there be a problem? Mm-hmm. Yes. The body, the body really, it really wants some level of consistency. So jumping, like I, there's a, there was a study that compared people with fasting but on a often fast food diet to people who were fasting in a cleaner diet. And we know there's going to be a big difference, but what it looks like is the person who was eating and not to say, Elizabeth, you have a fast food diet, I don't know what your diet, but let's say a high sugar and processed food, there's a lot in there, uh, more than like we used to talk about 80-20, like 80% clean, whole, single items. But say it's a lot more than that, that will defeat a lot of the aspects of fasting. Now, it's coming back, the body comes back, but you've noticed quite well, but it's like for me even, and, it, and it's helpful. I want to say that fasting is still in those situations, it's helpful, but if your aim is really to balance things and create stability, then maybe it is questioning, okay, why am I turning maybe to these foods? Maybe they're looking at the psychology. Why do I feel that I'm doing such a great thing and then maybe throwing it away? It's like a person who goes to the gym and says, oh, I earned it now and now I'm going to have McDonald's. Mm-hmm. It's like mm. you did so well for your body. Have If you want to have those foods, have the pick a day. You're having a cheat day. I'm not talking about being a saint. I don't think for a lot of it that's sustainable and that's not a good idea mentally. So you can pick, choose your foods you like, but watch out for overdoing it, for being excessive, like a person being so strict and then so off the, mm-hmm. like, jumping around. That, I think, can cause a lot of stresses. It's like the person, the dieter, the proverbial, I diet for two weeks, then I go back to it. And what most dieters will realise First time they do that diet, they lose weight. Second time, they lose not as much weight, but a little bit. Third time, a little bit, and then they get diminishing returns. They're not losing weight because the body goes, yeah, I'm not trusting you. Yeah. What are you doing? Why do you keep <laughs> playing this game? That's what I think is going on in the physiology. But that's in my experience with people who have done multiple diets. They come back to that same diet. They go, it didn't, didn't work. Yeah, maybe your body's kind of adjusting in that way. So, so my, my recommendation would be, Try to create as much consistency, not perfection. Mm-hmm. Be consistent, not perfect. Yeah, that's such great advice. Mm-hmm. Such great advice. So I'm going to have to let Craig go now. Um, and what, Craig, if you have any last comments or about inflammation, would you would you like to say? What should people know? I think again, it's it's really just just stand back from it all and and take some time. Take some time. Now I'm a massive fan of blood tests. I think we should do it every year. Um, if you if you want, I can send you a list that you can take to your doctor. But every year, do a checkup. We do it for our cars. Our, our car. We got in trouble today because we went six thousand kilometers over our checkup time, and now we've got some repairs. And I go, come on, Craig, what did you do that for? You weren't paying attention to the car. I spend a lot more attention on the physical. But now I've got a car that's going to cost me money because I let it run. This is what the mechanic said. You let it. The oil should have been changed. The filters should have been changed. So now I'm paying the price. I'm paying the price because I, was kept, I wasn't I was paying attention. 
I, so that's the first thing. really take it in, not just the blood test, but take time every every day to just stand back, have a look at the world. How am I? Am I being consistent? Am I my, my mental state? Am I generally in terms of relaxation, sleep? They're so powerful. We, they're so underestimated. We always go to training and diet, and they're powerful. But the other aspects, mindset and lifestyle, are equally, if not, we say sleep, more powerful than even sometimes the training. So just stand back, take in the big picture, know that our body is constantly going through a state of inflammation, but it knows very well how to put out the fires. We just need to give it the right circumstance and don't have to be perfect. Consistency, not perfection. Oh, such great advice. I am going to have to let you go, but if you guys have questions and hang on, I just want to stop recording. So thank you so much for sharing your time, Craig, and your knowledge. You're absolutely brilliant. And we'll see you next time, right? Thank you. We'll see you next time. Hey, did you enjoy the podcast? Don't forget to subscribe to be notified of all the new episodes and leave a review to help build the tribe. It's a small act of kindness that brings me big benefits and helps others find this amazing content. The best thing you can do is share. Sharing is caring. Statements made on this podcast have not been evaluated by the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. Anything we say or products we mention are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Information provided by this podcast is not a substitute for personal medical advice and not intended to replace a one-on-one relationship with a qualified healthcare professional. It is intended as a sharing of knowledge and information from the personal research and experience of me and my guests.